If you read any of the writings from the Founding Fathers, any of the documents, you will notice that they refer to a term called providence. And providence is sometimes used interchangeably with the name of God. At other times, it's used to describe the activity of God and what God is doing in intervening in the lives of people. There was at that time in America, and the reason this becomes so important, there was those who believed that God somehow got it all started and then just kind of slipped out of the scene and let us run it. And that idea was so contrary to the writings of the, the, the framers of, of, the, of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence that they, they purposely pushed the word providence back into the script to remind us that God is in charge. The word providence actually comes from two Latin words. One means pro, and the other is a, is a word video, meaning foresight and a careful arrangement of people and events to ensure the purpose of God. And so the idea is that God sees ahead of time, and God also is intervening in your life. Now, you sometimes live your life in, in a way that you think that you're kind of in control of your life. Have you ever done that? And then all of a sudden, some setback comes, and what do you do? You go to God, and you go, God, what am I going to do? And, you know, he's quietly probably speaking under his breath. I wondered when you were going to come to that realization. And sometimes it does take us uh, that way. In Psalm 119, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. There's something that happens when we're corrected by the word in the midst of our complacency that actually deepens us. And I believe we as a church, by choosing to be open in this season now since May 31st, I believe what we've done is we've, we've taken ground in the spiritual realm that we don't even know we've taken. You know, it, it's hard to monitor sometimes the progress you make as a Christian, isn't it? Unless you look back maybe over a year or five years and you go, wow, look what I've done in my life. But I, I really believe in the spiritual realm as a church that we've taken ground that we may not even understand until we get three, four, or five years down the road. I, I think the churches that have chosen, and I, I respect every pastor's decision to do what he thinks is best, but I really think the churches that have chosen not to open, that's about 40,000 in California alone, I really believe they've lost a lot of ground that they don't know they've lost. It's kind of like you, you know, bailing out of church for a couple of years and deciding you might give it another shot. You lost a lot of ground. A lot of things you could have gained in the spiritual realm, you forfeited. And we, we think because forgiveness is easy in, in the sense that we come to God and he always loves us and he's always gracious and always forgiving. But remember, rewards are not easy and they're not freely given. Only grace is. Rewards are earned, and rewards are eternal. So what happens is when you take a break from God, you really take a break from your inheritance in the eternal realm. And those things that you give up, you don't regain. And so it's so important for you to be steady and consistent in what you do. Whenever you begin to understand this idea of God's intervention, there's three dynamics that I want you to understand of how God works. The first one is creation. When we describe the idea of providence, we specifically want to help you understand these three dimensions. The first one is creation, and it explains the world's existence. When we say God is involved, we say God created the heavens and the earth just as the Word of God said. We don't believe, we don't teach here, 
that we evolved. We don't believe that there was a big bang that got it all started. We believe that God spoke the world into existence just as the world, the word of God has to say. In the book of Hebrews, it says Christ is upholding the, the whole universe by the word of his power. So the idea is that Christ is the glue who holds this world together. And then the second big word is the word preservation. It wouldn't do any good for God to create the world and then not preserve the world. And he's put into every dimension of creation a quality that resounds from his creation but also is consistent. So, for example, this morning when you woke up and the sun was there, you just assumed it would always be there. But God programmed all of that in such a way that he preserves creation and consistently that you can build on. Now, man has taken and said, let's get God out of the picture and talk about the laws of nature. There are no laws of nature apart from God because nature doesn't have, is not a supreme being who thinks or she thinks. It is God himself. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. So how does God guide everything? By his will, by the wisdom of God, he designs what's happening here. It's interesting that our oxygen is just the right amount for us to thrive. Now, maybe not today. We have a small fire uh, out east, and maybe you, you walked in and you said, well, it's a little hard to breathe. But you still had enough oxygen in the air that you could function. That's because God's sustaining power and preserving the universe. Guess what? God also preserves his word. So that the word of God that was written and delivered and given to the prophets and the apostles, that word is preserved by God so that you, when you read it, you encounter God in his word. Were it not so, you wouldn't know what to believe. Some people have tried to discount God and God's word by saying, well, you know, I don't really think that's relevant for today. No, you're not relevant for today. The word of God is relevant. Well, it's boring. No, you're boring. The Bible's the most exciting book in the world. Now, maybe you got yourself, like I did the first time I read the Bible, I came home from a concert, and uh, I, was, uh, I was under the influence of many things in that night, and uh, my buddy, Jim, said to me, I don't know about you guys, but you know, we, somehow we just got scared. You know, when you're in high school and you're high and you get scared, and that was us. And Jim said, I'm going to read the Bible when I get home. And I said, me too. I, you know, that's what you do. I got to get a lucky, lucky rabbit's foot here or something. So I got home. It was 3 a.m., and I finally found a Bible, and I opened it up, and I got into the genealogies of Genesis. That's what I got is so-and-so begot, and I thought there's got to be something here. Jim said there was something here. I'm reading genealogies. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I don't know what's going on here. I thought I was on another trip. I don't know what was happening. <laughs> I put it away and, and decided that this just wasn't going to work for me, and then later when I encountered a, really, a, a person who really knew God and loved God, then it all started to connect. Then the Bible started to make sense, and then I began to understand what God was doing. But God was preserving me in my stupidity. Isn't that good news? Anybody ever did anything stupid? Raise your hand if you ever did anything stupid. Now, now look around. Anybody doesn't have their hand up? That's stupid, not to raise your hand. <laughs> Amen. We've all done something, right? We look back, what was I thinking? What was I doing? But God preserves you through that time. In the book of Job, it says, God makes nations great. 
He destroys them and he enlarges nations and he leads them away. He said in Psalm 22, dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over all the nations. I get asked questions all the time in this season. What do I think about what's happening in our world? Well, I'm confused how the revolutionaries who were going to change the world, the Antifas, uh, I'm, I'm just confused what happened. I thought their march to justice would finally end in a, in a whole new world order. But apparently they ran out of time, money, or their parents told them to get back in the basement. <laughs> What's going to happen with the election? I don't know. I'm not a prophet in the sense that I see into the future. Some people have some, some of those gifts. I don't have that gift. I have an ability to look at situations and kind of dissect them and try to bring them in light with biblical truth. Uh, I think one thing is for certain that um, it is going to be an interesting rest of the month. And I think anything can happen. Amen? But let me tell you what I do know. Providence guides it all. Do not think Democrats or Republicans or some interest group controls the world. When God allows some things to happen in your world, it's so that he can accomplish a greater purpose. You see, difficulties and challenges, while they're uncomfortable, they do sometimes work a greater work, not only in our world, but in us as individuals. So that third word, providence, explains the world's control. That is how God directs the world that he created. Let me take you to Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34. The Bible says his dominion, that is God's, is an everlasting dominion. Don't you think it's fascinating that the controversial computer system for vote counting was called dominion? You see, Satan is a, is a, is a copycatter of everything that God does. Satan has never had an original thought. He mimics and he mocks the things of God. He tries to put his stamp on it, only tries to improve it in order for him to get the praise and the glory. The reality is that God has dominion. And while dominion may come to the forefront and say, look what we've done, God says, no, let me show you what I'm going to do. The Bible goes on to say in his kingdom, that is God's, is from generation to generation. The next generation, you say, I'm worried, I, I, should I have children? I don't know. Do I really want to bring a child into this world? Hey, I said the same thing. God preserves a generation of his saints to glorify and honor him. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. God says, let me tell you, if I take everybody on planet earth, I'm still going to get the glory. He does according to his will. Try to do your will and see how well it works. According to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have I done? I've told this story before, but it bears telling one more time. When I was at Oxford, my professor was a double PhD uh, in physics and at one time was a part of the Royal Air Force Biological Weapons Division. And he told me things that were just frightening in terms of what happens in his world. And I asked him, I said, Kerr, how do you sleep at night? He said, it's simple. I believe in a sovereign God. 
If you believe God is sovereign, that God works all things for the good, that them that love him and are called according to his purpose, don't worry about the headlines. They're going to come, they're going to go, but God remains. Amen? George Washington said this, and he used this term providence in a very careful way, and I want you to, to really kind of take this quote in. He said, providence to whom we are infinitely more indebted than we are to our own wisdom or our own exertions has always displayed its power and goodness, now listen to this, when clouds and thick darkness seem ready to overwhelm us. Let that sink in. You feel a little overwhelmed today? Hey, it's a great season to feel overwhelmed. Don't know what's gonna happen next. But look what else he said. The hour now comes when we stand much in need of another manifestation of its bounty, however little we deserve it. A manifestation of the providence of God in your life. Have you prayed that or have you said, oh me and oh my, what am I going to do? God is in control. Right now in your heart of hearts, you say, God, I give you control and you are in control. Teach me not to try to be in control of my world. In providence, now watch this, this is good, because we are still responsible for our actions regardless what God is doing. We need to do what is right, amen? Our actions have real results and do change the course of events. Do you know that when you make a decision to do one thing, it can have a big effect on generations to come and in changing the course of the world. Sometimes just speaking truth to one person, that person happens to speak to one person who speaks to one person who becomes the lever who changes the course of mankind. Never underestimate your ability to affect change in your world. And as humans, we are created in his image. We are created to act. We must act. We must do something. Amen? I was criticized one time when I was trying to do a big event and I had this vision of giving away like 100,000 Bibles in St. Louis and we were gonna have this big Bible day. It was the craziest thing I've ever done in my life. We had a spotlight, we got news, we got billboards, we had everything going and I was criticized by a lot of the pastors. Oh, they already have Bibles. Why are you doing this? Why are you spending money? And I go, something came back to me I heard in a previous time, I said, you know, my way of doing something's better than your way of doing nothing. Do something. Make a difference. Try. Even if you lose, even if you fail, try. Amen? Here's what you can do. Build a legacy for the future. You ought to be thinking about your legacy. And I don't just mean saving money so you give it as an inheritance. I mean your legacy spiritually from a character standpoint from an intellectual standpoint, from a social impact standpoint, from every dimension, what is your legacy? Psalm 78, 4 says, we will not hide them, that is God's works, from their children, but tell of the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Have you told your kids, your grandchildren, your friends, have you told them about what God has done in the past? See, God is consistent. What God did yesterday, God is gonna do today. What he's doing today, he'll do tomorrow. The God who loved you yesterday still loves you today even if you mess up. Isn't that good news? Because his love for you was not based on your behavior. It was based on his character. He could do nothing else but love his creatures. In Psalm 145, it says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. 
Declare your mighty acts, God. I just want to declare you have done great things, and you will continue to do great things. Let me ask you this question. How is your life adding value to a future generation? It's a great question. It's uncomfortable because you say, I don't know. When I ask myself the question, I go, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. Amen? I want to do that. I want to add value. Who has gone before me that could inspire and motivate me? Have you ever thought about that? Who do you look at and go, they inspire me. They motivate me. You know, all the mentors in your life don't have to be someone who sits down with you and tries to help you figure out your stuff. Some of my greatest mentors are dead. I read about them in books, and they inspire me. I hear their stories, and they mentor me, and they teach me, and they train me. I read the Word of God, and that inspires me. I think, if that guy can do it, I can do it. Amen? So this popped up on my, uh, on my email feed this week, and I'm, I'm, I kind of like to trace my genealogy, and I just found out I am the, my 11th great-grandfather was on the Mayflower, and his name was William Brewster, and he was the one that wrote the Mayflower Compact. That's kind of cool, right? And I, so I just got a little deeper. I said, I got to read about this guy since I know him. Right? And I found out here that he went to Leiden, and in Leiden he was printing books and preaching, and it was not in vogue, and so they arrested him, and he escaped. I thought, yeah, I like this guy already. Then he went to Amsterdam, got in trouble there for the same thing, and they tried to arrest him, and then finally they decided the best thing to do was go back to, go back to Leiden, hop on a boat, and come to America in 1620. And before they got there, they sat down, and they wrote the Mayflower Compact, which became the guiding document for our nation. That inspires me. How distant am I? 11th great-grandfather, that's how distant. He's inspiring me. Who's inspiring you in your life? Stand for what is right. This is a season we have to stand for what is right. Amen? I just uh, posted a video, or it will post if it hasn't yet, for small business owners. And the stats are these. 42% of all small businesses in California have closed or will close in the next two months. 71% of all small businesses in, in California have either laid off people or reduced their, their salary. Now, let me tell you what that means. That means we have bad leadership. That's what that means. That's bad leadership. That's one-dimensional thinking. I can't figure out where to go from here, so I'll just close everything down, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if I ram 300 people in a Home Depot, I can't get eight people in a store next door. That's bad leadership. There needs to be a recall. Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. You see, it's not always about you doing something wrong. Sometimes it's about you not doing something right. And I, I admit, sometimes I don't even know what to do. It just seems like the machine is so big, and what do I do to make a difference? John Curran said this, the condition upon which God has given us liberty to man is eternal vigilance. You know where your liberty comes from? Am I willing to be vigilant in my life to make a difference? In July, I'd had it. I just came to the place where I said, I'm done with this government overreach, this violation of the First Amendment. I gotta do something even if it doesn't work. That was my thought, and we launched American Faith as a website 
And uh, many of you have been on that and seen that, and we just began to just kind of do what we knew to do. And over that course of time, since July, uh, it's evolved into something bigger. I want to walk you through it. We put a packet uh, on, your, on your chair. We're going to have a brief meeting afterwards for those of you who want to ask questions and get more involved. But let me tell you what we're doing. Uh, we are launching a national news and media network. The overview is American Faith plans to launch as a natural news, uh, national news and media network in early 2021. We'll provide conservative, unbiased news from a paradigm of traditional Judeo-Christian worldview. We're forming this network to respond to the current political and social climate we find ourselves in as a people. The mainstream media have largely abandoned professional objectivity and instead propagated liberal ideologies through selective, biased news reporting. I believe there's a market. And I believe it's not Christian news. And I believe it's not just conservative news. I believe its foundation is biblical, but looks at it through a worldview of the Word of God. We don't need anybody else to be Christian weird in our world. We don't need anybody else to be just liberal stupid. We've got plenty of both. Amen? The Bible says a false balance is an abomination unto the Lord. Somehow, there needs to be a way to say, how do we tie intellect, good reporting, and, and the Word of God into truth so that people can digest that in their life? I don't know about you, but I find myself going, how do I find what really is happening in my world? I don't know how to find it. I don't know how to fight through that, that, that uh, mess. We're gonna build a team of journalists who lead a news cycle on social media. The idea is to recruit an editor-in-chief who will probably have, uh, we're gonna drive this through Twitter. Uh, we're talking to people already, but that person will have probably at least 50,000 followers on Twitter. The one we're talking to this week has over 300,000. And then there will be a, a team of digital uh, journalists, soldiers who will be working on that level. Uh, next, we're going to launch a website as conservative destination of choice for all things news and political. We already have uh, a website, but it's going to take on a whole new uh, twist as days come ahead. We're going to aggregate news on there for you so you can see it. We're going to provide some wonderful opportunities for you to learn. And then we're going to launch a digital platform. So on that website, you'll see a button. It'll say On Demand or something to that effect. And it will take you into a digital platform that was just released in August. It's got over a million dollars in development cost. And we're going to use that as our digital platform to host live events. Some of you remember Oz Guinness was with us uh, about a year ago, uh, the Oxford uh, grad who also is now one of the, I think he's written like 30 best-selling books. He's already agreed to be a part of American faith, so is William Fetter. Every person I've asked so far has said yes. And we're just going to start going through the list. We're not launching this to fail. We're not launching this to play. I just want you to know that. We're going to host a weekly war room style uh, on live stream. We'll start one day a week, a 45-minute live stream. We'll interview some of the, uh, some of the most uh, controversial and, uh, and influential people in the political, military, uh, and legal realms uh, to, in order to get this started. Eventually, we'll go more, but we're going to start somewhere. And then the final thing is, how do I get involved? There's four ways that we see right now. Join a prayer network. Uh, post on social media. We're going to begin to provide assets for that. Uh, let us know your skills. Some of you, sometimes there's a skill sitting out here that we don't know about and that you say, hey, hey, I don't know if this would help, but 
I'd like to get involved. And then as we sort through all this, um, we'll then uh, begin to launch. We'll, um, and also donate and support American faith. There's some explanation in here about how you can do that. And I think this is what I mean. We have to take action. If you don't know what to do, then find a vision that you, you can align yourself with. If it's not this one, find one and say, I'm gonna make a difference in my world. You know, we pray it's this one, but, but we just want you to feel like you're, you're leading and following the Holy Spirit of God. Um, we gotta believe that God will always come through. I don't care what you're doing in life. You know, the people, according to Corey Ten Boom, who was uh, incarcerated by uh, the Nazis at Auschwitz during World War II, she said the people that survived the death camps largely were the people that had hope. When you give up hope, you don't survive. When life becomes hopeless and you don't know where to turn, what do you do? I think the great thing about church and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's never short of hope. And hope is not wishy-washy. It is confident assurance in that which God has promised God will provide. Amen? God will always come through. Let me give you a story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. All sounds really good right now unless you know about Herod. Herod was like Stalin of his day. Herod was like Adolf Hitler of his day. He was a crazed maniac who eventually would order the murder of all children two years of age and under. And that was the environment Jesus found himself in. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, do you think that was an accident? They came from the east. How did they know about this Jesus? The east and where they came from was Babylon. Guess who influenced them 600 years earlier? It was Daniel the prophet. It was Daniel the prophet when he saved their life when the king was going to kill them all because they couldn't read and understand the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. He interceded and said, don't kill them, and he became an instant hero in the minds of all of those pagan sorcerers and magicians and all these things that were there, and guess what? He began to influence them and teach them about the coming Messiah. So when they came 600 years later, it was because generation after generation, they passed on a truth, God is coming in the flesh. Think about this. This is providence, people. This is an example of what was happening here. These cute Christmas stories that we read without thinking are actually just deep with meaning. And they have to just go into them and go, what? How did they owe? Where did they come from? And why did they make the journey? And listen to what they said. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They had some information. These were not Jews, these were not Christians. There were no Christians at this point. These were followers of Zoroastrianism, and they yet had been influenced by the truth of God's word. Don't think that words you speak about Jesus in the ears of those who don't want to hear don't stick. The word of God is sticky. It's hard to get it out of your head. Somebody puts the word of God in you, and it's just hard to get out of your head. And it goes on to say, for we have come, we have seen his star in the east, we have come to worship him. You don't worship someone who's not a god. We've come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because you mean there's another king in town? What am I going to do? Drop down to verse 13. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Stay there till I bring you word. Providence. I'm going to get you out of town before this genocide begins. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. You see, if you listen to God and you obey God, he's always going to get you out of the thing you can't get it yourself out of. He's always going to give you wisdom and instruction. He's always going to give you purpose and meaning. Here's some truths to take home. Conflict and difficulty is a part of the human condition. If you're going through heartache and difficulty and challenges right now, join 7 billion people on planet Earth. Nobody's got it perfect. If somebody told you the day you got saved and gave your heart to Christ that all your problems would go away, they lied. The real truth is that as long as you're on planet Earth as a human, you will strive and struggle and find difficulty. But the question is, will you do it alone or will you do it with God? Amen? Secondly, enemies only prove to make you stronger. The greatest teachers you had in school were the ones that you didn't like because they pushed you. The greatest coaches, the ones you didn't like because they pushed you. When things go wrong and you say, you know what, I'm not going to lose at this. I'm going to win at this. One way they are, I'm going to win. I'm not going to give up. I'm not giving up. I tell you what, if you can just make that a reality in your life, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I might fail a hundred times, but I'm not quitting and I'm not giving up. I'm sticking to the course. Amen? As that poem says, when things go wrong as they sometimes will, and the road you're trudging is all uphill, the funds are low and the debts are high, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man who learned too late how close he was to the golden crown. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. Amen? Stick to the fight. God is always in control of your future. Oh, what am I going to do about tomorrow? Don't worry about it. you got enough to deal with today, Jesus said. God's got your future. God's got tomorrow. You know how just relaxing it is to go, God, you got this. Like one guy said, when the devil knocks on the door, don't answer. Send Jesus. Jesus, I believe that's for you. I believe that's for you. Problems come, Jesus, that's for you. Difficulty comes, Jesus, that's for you. That's how I got into this. Because you said, you're going to be my mediator. You're going to be my Lord. You're going to be my God. You're going to be my Savior. You're going to be all those things. I got into this because I couldn't figure it all out but you already have, amen? Amen. You know, faith is something people don't think they have a lot of, but the Bible reminds us we don't have to have a lot of it to make a difference. Jesus said you can speak to a mountain, it'll move with just a little faith. You know, it only takes a little faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember I was sitting down with a man and he was fairly successful in his own right and fairly independent. 
and I was trying to bring him to the reality of believing on Jesus Christ. He said, I just can't believe. I, I just don't have faith. And I said, how can you have more faith in that chair you're sitting in than you do in God? He said, what? I said, yeah, we came out here. You sat in that chair. You didn't look at it to examine it to see if it holds you up. You just sat in it. You believed that chair would hold you up. And yet you had no evidence that that chair would hold you up. I said, Let's, let me pray with you right now. And as I pray, I want you, I want you just to say, God, I'm going to believe. With whatever I have, I'm going to believe. Even if my faith is, is little and even if I have doubts, I'm going to just push into it. And guess what? He prayed. About halfway through it, he said, I now believe. You see, take that little seed that God gave you of faith and use it. Don't neglect it. Water it, fertilize it, let it grow in your life. If you're a Christian, water it, fertilize it, let it grow in your life. And see what God can do with that. Sometimes the great difficulty you went through were to comfort another person, to help them through their crisis. And sometimes the greatest reward you get is when you look back and go, wow, I've been so helpful through my tragedy because I comfort others with a comfort by which I am comforted. And that's a great truth, amen? If you've never prayed and received Christ, can I invite you right now to do that with me? Just to bow your head where you stand or sit, whether you're watching online, outside, or inside, and just pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross to save me from my sin, to forgive me, Lord. You were buried in a tomb. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you're my Savior, my Lord. Come into my heart by your Spirit and guide me in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Was that your prayer? If that was your prayer, then you, you can just bank on it. God heard your prayer. God answered your prayer. He entered you in to the family of God, and now you walk faithfully with him. You search him for him with all your heart. You read the word of God. You pray. You, you get lined up with church and other Christians, and you grow in your faith so that you can be a strong change agent in the world today. Amen? Amen.